Welcome to the Uncommon Legacy Podcast. Today our guest is Jason Vallotton. Jason is the author of The Supernatural Power of Forgiveness and co-author of Moral Revolution. He's a sought-after counselor and speaker, and he and his wife Lauren are pastoral care overseers at Bethel Reading. Jason's personal journey is a powerful illustration of God's grace, healing, and redemption. You'll learn about the true power of forgiveness and how to use your story to lead others to healing. We know you'll enjoy this powerful episode. Here's our conversation with Jason Ballatin. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, we're very much about discovering uh, people's journey, You know how their life and the choices they've made have really led them to where they are today. And um, you know we all go through ups and downs and things that are expected or unexpected, and it shapes us and molds us into the people we are today. And I know your story's uh, very much reflective of that, but we'd love for you in your own words to you know, take us back before anything that you, you're doing now that you're known for there at Bethel or, or you know, the books you're writing and yeah. just take us back to a time when you were younger and tell us what was life like for you growing up? Man, I grew up, uh, in a really small town up in the mountains of a, of a little place called Weaverville, uh, California. And, uh, it was, it was a, a logging town, you know? So life was, a lot like Little House on the Prairie, you know. Um, nothing bad really ever happened. Uh, had had loving parents that were married, um, and, and a, you know loving sisters. And so, you know, my dad owned parts stores growing up, and, and auto uh, auto repair shops. And my mom worked with him. So, you know, just your average, really hardworking family that that grew up in a small town. You know, so life was it was it was pretty simple. Um, pretty simple. And, and I was, I was really a simple, a simple guy, a simple kid. You know, I, I grew up in the woods and so I did a lot of hunting and a lot of fishing and, and, um, yeah, is it just mellow. Nice. You know, Jason, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've had a chance to have a conversation with, with your dad, Chris. And, and so, so we know obviously the, the place, the place of faith you come from and, and that, but for you personally, at what point in your life did you really feel like you came to know Jesus and, and really decide to follow him for yourself? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. I grew up in the church probably like many people that, you know, are in the church right now. Um, so before I could, I mean, before I could even remember, I mean, I was going to church. But I, I remember um, I went through a really tough season in my life, probably around uh, 15 I was um, looking at pornography, and and it really become a struggle for me. I was uh, addicted to to masturbation, and and just really caught up in my life, uh, struggling with that stuff. And I remember those those were really the times in my life that I had felt far away from God because before then, you got to understand, like I had never known what it felt like to be far away from God because I grew up in it. And so <clears throat> I think for me, really working through the addiction to masturbation and my addiction with pornography, um, I, really, I really reached out to God and my family in that season. It took me about a year. It was a year-long process of, of um, really working through uh, going through the steps of getting well and uh, of getting healed, but also really pressing into God. And, and I found, I found that the Lord was my savior in that time. 
if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't yeah. just a friend. He wasn't just a place that I, you know, they show up on Sunday and worship, but I actually found like the heart of God. And I can remember having an encounter when I was about 16 in the front row <clears throat> of Bethel Church here. I came down just to visit. And I, I remember like the first time when I tangibly felt God not only say I love you, but I could feel I love you. And, um, and that, that was a really big shifting point in my life. So, yeah, I, I think everything, everything in my life probably changed a lot from there. Wow, man. You know, Jason, back, back to you, you talking about your, uh, your struggle with, uh, pornography and masturbation. You know, I mean that, I know with what you're doing with moral revolution, we're, we'll get into more of that in a while, I yeah. think, but, uh, you know, talking about that struggle that you walked through, even at such a young age, I think there are tons of people, and I know you know this, tons of people who are still dealing with that. Can you just give us a picture of what that, for you, what that looked like when you say you walked out of that and you, you kind of really experienced some freedom? You know, what, what were those steps like for you? And, um, and, and really after that, after you kind of felt like, hey, I'm free from this thing, uh, what, what, did you, what are you doing in your life to, to continue walking in that freedom? Yeah, you know, for me, it, it's kind of interesting, and and I know that you're not fully asking this question, but um, I, I'll give you the I'll give you like the maybe the long long short version. Um, I, I was uh, at nine years old. I had oral sex with a boy, and I didn't necessarily know it was wrong, but I, in the sense of I didn't know what I was doing, mm. um, but it felt wrong. And I remember going mm. home, and I. And telling my dad like what I had done and describing to him what I had done because I didn't know what it was called. And he said, son, just don't ever do that again, which is pretty important in my story because most of my sexual experiences that I had had up until 16 was with the same sex, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of people in our generation are experiencing. And I, I say today like I would, I would be a homosexual or think that I was a homosexual if I didn't have a dad that said, Hey, just don't do that again. You're all right. Um, and I had other experiences with boys beyond that, that I never took on as my identity. I just took it on as, uh, this is just what, this is what curiosity does. Um, and so, you know, I found, I found, uh, sexuality really, really young. And so, you know, started masturbating by the time at 10 years old, so by the time I was 16, I mean, it was full blown. Um, one thing that I think the, for me is key in, in getting free is being honest about it and being willing to work on it. I, there's a lot of people that are willing to say, I have a problem, but not a lot of people that are actually willing to take practical steps every day that is going to get them well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. For instance, yeah. um, I do a lot of counseling in, in, in with, with the counseling that I do, I do a lot of counseling for, for people that are, you know, sex addicts and, and affairs, anything you think of, I've done almost. Um, if your feet hit the ground in the morning when you wake up and you don't have something to do that, this, that you, it's actually helping you move towards your goal of freedom, you're, you're, you're already behind the curve. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I found it really helpful for men who are struggling with, with breaking cycles. Let's just say breaking cycles in yeah, general. That's good. You know, it, it's a, it's a habit. It, it now moves into a habit. It, it's a habitual thing. So you, you're not necessarily thinking, I'm going to go look at porn today or I'm going to go masturbate or I'm going to lie. You know, if, if you're a habitual liar, you're just, it's so ingrained in your brain. This is what I need. It's the grooves that are cut in our brain, right? It's just firing. It's saying you feel lonely. You don't even realize that you feel lonely. Um, and, and because you're not aware that you feel lonely, in order to fix lonely, you go and you masturbate. Or you go and you look at porn. And all the while, it's subconscious, right? Because most of our actions in a day uh, are subconscious, which means we're not even aware of what we're thinking. 70% of all of our thought process is unconscious. So, you know, really the first start to me is you got to be, you got to be honest about where you're at, mm. which doesn't mean I tell somebody who's also in the same struggle that I'm in. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, right. Call that accountability. Uh, I call it stupidity, you know, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it takes the guilt away, but, but, uh, you know, sometimes it just helps us justify where we're at. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I really started telling my dad in that season where I was at and I didn't hide anything from him. And without shame, he slowly together, we walked through it. So, you know, for a year, he knew that I was looking at pornography. Again, I didn't hide it. I was very open with him. And the key is he didn't shame me back. He didn't shame me with going, you need to get rid of this. Um, obviously, we talked through it and I knew that I need to get rid of it. Um, but slowly I would work through, uh, today I'm going to change the way I think about myself. So mm. why are you looking at porn? That's the mm. question. Or why are you masturbating? What's the root behind it? Because it's not just that, that men or women are, are, you know, sexually stimulated. Therefore they want to go masturbate or therefore they want to look at porn. That's part of it. Maybe that's the, maybe that's curiosity's the entrance. But now it's shame. Now it's mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. guilt. Now it's pain. And if we actually if we don't actually deal with the root of why I'm doing this thing, you, you know, we're just putting a band-aid on it. So even if you know, even if I quit looking at pornography, but I didn't actually deal with the root issue of why I was looking at pornography, I'm, it's just going to come out somewhere else. Hmm. That's good, man. So I, again, I think people really. Um, need to get down to the root of why, why am I, what do I get out of looking at porn? Okay. I get a sense of longing. I get a sense of, of comfort. It gives me, uh, it relieves stress. Um, it makes me feel not, not so lonely. Well, now you have to be self-aware. Um, so self-awareness is the ability to know what's going on inside of you at all times. And self-awareness really helps you to go, okay, right now, I'm feeling tempted to go look at pornography or right now I'm feeling, I'm feeling off. Well, if you know that you're feeling off, you can stop for a second and go, what is the need that I have? Um, and I know I'm giving you a lot of information. No, this, this is really going to help somebody. Anytime, yeah. anytime that you are tempted to violate yourself, all it is is a need wanting to be met. Mm. So, and I'll, I'll say that a couple different ways. Anytime that you're tempted to do something that you know is wrong. Really what you're looking for is how do I get my need met? Um, 
and I'll explain that. I was I was uh, in the grocery store probably a year ago, like we all do, and I was grabbing a grocery basket and I was thinking about my shopping list. And I look up, and there's this really pretty girl who was dressed less than appropriate. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was like, wow. Like for a split second, my mind went, wow. And then I realized, because I'm, I practice self-awareness, I realized really quick, I'm standing in front of the door. It's like opening and closing, opening and closing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, what are you doing? So I didn't let the thought go even into lust, but I realized like in a split second, I was really captivated by her. And I started to think to myself, okay, Jay, what do you need? What do you need? And instead of just going, oh, it's that porn thing again when I was 16 or, oh, it was that, it's just me being a guy. I started to go, what do you need? And I realized I'd had a lot of counseling appointments that week. I was really tired. And I started to think, what did I feel when I saw her? And thinking through it logically, like I had, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sexually stimulated that had our, you know, I have a wife that that's being taken care of. What I really wanted was adventure. Mm. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, once I figured that out, no longer was that girl even appealing. I went home and I was like, hey, babe, I think I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go take my boat out. Uh, I actually, not to avoid a sexual thing, but actually to meet the need inside of my heart. I wanted something to chase. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's really good. good. So, you know, I think men all over the world and women all over the country are, are trying to, um, you know, are really sabotaging themselves by not figuring out what really is the need that your heart's crying out for. Go get that thing met. And this other thing, this other thing's going to die. Hmm. Wow. Man, that's so good. Yeah. Well, well, Speaking of, you know, adventure and uh, we will continue like on the same theme that you're talking about, um, especially when we talk about more revolution here a little bit. But like your, your own life growing up and, and getting to a place where even you are today, where you're counseling people and all that. Like, you know, I believe every every place in our life kind of prepares us for the next season. So yeah. and you went through this season of your life when you were a firefighter, which I didn't even I had no clue. Like I, I had to go look and do some research and found it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And so can you talk yeah. about, you know, why did you decide to, to do that? Was it that adventure, desire for adventure within you? What was the, the reason you, you did that? And what did you get out of that season of your life? Man, yeah. I mean, I was young. I went through, uh, we have a school of ministry here at Bethel Church that my dad started. Um, I think he started in 1998. And so um, about around 2000, I had gone through the school of ministry for two years and, you know, really at that point in my life, my dad was kind of like, Hey, you should go be a youth pastor and get some experience. And, uh, you know, I had some, I had some job offers for that and it just didn't feel right. I don't know. Like you go through those things where everything looks right on paper, but it didn't feel right. And mm. one of my spiritual fathers, his name's Keith Alvord. Um, he's a firefighter and his dad was one of the, um, ran one of the first, uh, hotshot crews in Texas called the Texas Canyon hotshots. And so, you know, he'd been a firefighter and running fire crews. Keith had, uh, his whole life. And so he offered me a job. He said, Hey, come out here and, and help me run a crew. And I was like, Oh man. Yeah. I mean that, that, that dream of, 
conquering something. You're lighting stuff on fire. What boy doesn't want to light stuff on fire? <laughs> yeah, how can you turn that down? Yeah. Down, you know? Yeah. With a chainsaw. So <laughs> I prayed about it. My dad was like, no, nah, I don't think so. And that was another real defining moment in my life because I had a wife and I had kids at that time. I got married very young, uh, engaged at 17 in high school, married at 18, um, kids by 19. Wow. Man. And so... You know, I really had to sit with God and go, I don't want to do this just because I really want to do it. I want to do it if, it's, if I'm going to get something out of it. So um, long story short, I actually really felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And so I joined that. Uh, I joined him. And man, it's probably one of the greatest leadership uh, experiences in my life. Wow. I had men that were incredibly um, hard to work with. Um, you know, these guys were really rough, very violent, uh, a lot of pain. And I slowly learned how to gain favor with them. And not not in a Christian way where you'd be like, I, you know, I never one time preached Jesus to them, which I don't think is good or bad. It's just not really my style. Um, but I just won them over with hard work and um, leading them really well and caring about them individually. And so you know, it's always been my heart to take the broken and bring the best out in them, mm -hmm. uh, regardless yeah. of whether or not they're believers. And so I did that. And in uh, that, that season of my life really was one of those seasons where you realize I can do it. I can do it. It's, it's the I'm independent. And, um, you know, we go through the, the, the stages of life from, from dependent to independent to interdependent. And that was really my, my big independent stage in my life where I went, I can do this. I, I can handle hard things and I, I can be a great leader. So it was an incredible season of my life. Probably the funnest, definitely the funnest job I've ever had. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. All, all good things come to an end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, was, Jason, I'd, I think we'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, you, you've written a book called Supernatural Power of Forgiveness. Um, and, you know, knowing, having read a little bit about your story and, 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 and know, knowing about, you know, where your life's gone, doing some research for this, you know, I, I know what the book's about, but we would love to hear just kind of in your own words, what, what the purpose of the book was, what it's about why, and why you wrote it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the book is, is really my journey of, of, um, my divorce and, you know, a lot of people think that it's about forgiveness because the title's forgiveness. Um, th the honest truth is I never actually meant to title it uh, <laughs> The Supernatural Power of Forgiveness. Um, really, your author has a lot of say in that. Or, sorry, your um, uh, publisher. What, publisher, yeah, has yeah. a lot to say with yeah. that. But the book is about walking through pain. It's mm. about um, how to take your pain and walk through it to a place of redemption, right? So mm -hmm. um, that was my journey uh, of divorce. And so I have, you know, I have my story in the first couple of chapters, and then it really goes through um, the process from putting God back in the God spot um, all the way to what do you do with pain? You know, pain has a voice. And, and a lot of the times we don't realize that pain has a voice, but it does. It says, fix me now. And mm -hmm. if we don't actually address pain in our life head on, then... Uh, it, it passively just eats us away and we do things and we, we become people that we never thought we'd become um, in the name of, of trying to be out of pain. And yeah. so, you know, I realized at some point, and I think really it was, it was 
influenced mostly by my my father said man you got to write your story you got to write you got to tell people how to get out of what they're in and so um that began my journey of of just sitting down and and writing through uh you know what what would i what would i wish that i would have had in my season um and so that that's ultimately what i did is i thought man if i would have had something that somebody had a book that i could read when I'm in the middle of whatever, divorce to an affair to just pain, you know, my grandma dies and I'm in pain or my dad dies. Um, that's really why I wrote the book. Hmm. You know, Jason, you kind of mentioned something real quick there at the beginning of that about putting God in the God spot. Now, um, for someone who, who may have heard that and have no clue or point of reference for what that means, could you break that down for us? What does that mean? Yeah, um, you know, God is your ultimate source for identity, direction, protection, comfort, unconditional love, security, um, healing. There might be a couple other things. So God is your main source for that. And oftentimes it's really easy to um, put something else in that spot. Really, really easy. For instance, uh, money. We all experience that. Um, if God is our source for uh, security, if he's the prince of peace, then when we don't feel like we have enough money and we begin to have anxiety and anxiety begins to control our life, you realize right away money has now taken the place of God mm. in that area of your life. Yeah. So if we really actually had God in the God spot, in his place, the, the ultimate place of security, of protection, of direction, then when you're when you're dealing with a financial crisis, you won't just go, oh, everything's going to be okay. You'd actually go, you know, here, hey, God, what do you got to say about this, if you believe in that, which I do. Um, if you don't, you'd still go, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Um, therefore, what am I going to set my belief system as? And am I going to serve money or am I going to serve God? And if I'm going to serve money then the fruit of serving money is that it comes and, it's, and it goes. And I'm going to be happy when it's there, and I'm going to be full of anxiety and fear when it's gone. And when I have it, I'm going to be afraid I'm going to lose it. And when I lose it, I'm going to be afraid I'm never going to get it back. But when I serve God, I'm going to um, have a totally different mindset about something like money. Um, and so, you know, a long time ago, I was, I was dealing with a... Um, a very high level uh, producer and he was telling me his job was changing. He was in Hollywood he was telling me his job was changing and, and uh, he's going through a different season in his life and, and he wasn't sure what was going to happen. He was telling me how he wasn't sleeping at night and how um, he just had so much anxiety. And then out of his mouth, he said, but you know, I'm, I'm really trusting God in this season. And I said, no, you're not. Now I wasn't trying to hurt him. But we all do that as Christians, right? We all say, this is the horrible stuff in my life and I'm not sleeping, I have anxiety, but I really trust God because we're taught to say that. Yeah, man. <laughs> but the truth is, no, you really don't. And you can't fix anything that you won't admit that you have. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, man, God's a prince of peace. And honestly, if you trusted God that he was going to take care of it, and, and he brought you this, the first job that you're at, now he's going to bring you another job, that he's actually going to be your source, you would be sleeping fine. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. The disciples think they're going to die. 
Jesus is sleeping. (laughs) What's the difference? The difference is the storm that was inside of the disciples, inside of them, was not inside of Jesus. Wow. Jesus didn't have the storm inside of him. Therefore, he was able to get up and calm the storm because he had peace inside of him. So, you know, that's a process. I would, you know, I would hate to claim that I walk around every day just with no fear ever and perfect. But when I realize there's an area in my life that I have replaced God, I begin to drive it out. And the first step to that is repentance. It's, mm-hmm. it's not I'm sorry. It's I'm actually going to turn and yeah. walk the other way. I'm not going to walk away from this. I'm going to walk towards something. And that's really where um, it, it's, a, it's a really long topic. But <laughs> if I could just take a second and say, yeah, sure. yeah. times, when we repent, we say, I'm sorry. And we turn and we just, we walk the other way, but we don't actually make a plan. So we don't, we don't know what we should be walking towards. So I can start there. What should mm-hmm. you be walking towards? If you're trying to put God back in the God spot, or if you're trying to repent for something, for your poor behavior, for your addiction, you have to know what should you be walking towards. And then you got to create a strategy around that. So I'm walking towards freedom, but more specifically, okay, I I need to figure out how to replace God where money was. So how do I get God out of there? Or where my wife was. She's my comfort. I'm afraid of her. I'm afraid to tell her the truth. Um, I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt her. Okay, so you actually need some skills. You need good boundaries that keep her protected, not that push her out. You need to have needs. Um, so you're going to have to read the boundaries book. Probably you need to learn um, how to confront your fear. You actually need real skills. Mm, then yeah. you need a strategy. So when this happens, when I feel this way, I'm going to do this. And then you need to be able to execute. And so, you know, I actually think repentance to me is steps. It's to me, it's three steps. It's, it's knowledge, it's strategy and it's execution. Hmm. And so, you, you know, I, I just think there's, there's, there's so much, um, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I forgive you, forgive me, but we don't actually sit down and go, okay, what is my plan for this? What do I not know that I need to know? And then once you know that, okay, what is my strategy for this? Once you figure out a strategy, okay, how am I going to execute it? So, you know, I really think that, that, that we would do a lot better as, as people if we would change our mindset on, you know, things like forgiveness or like uh, repentance and, and really work through the actual process instead of um, think it's a, a blanket. It's a one-time thing that I say. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be changed for me. <laughs> Man, Man, that's that's so good. Powerful. Yeah, you know, on, along those same lines and even even like to your own story. I know the book mentions a lot about this, too, about this topic of redemption. You know, I think yeah. those of us who are like w- wanting to walk in this area of repentance or to, to fix whatever's wrong is like we, we we're looking for this better version of ourselves. Like we're looking for. Of, you know, this thing that fixes the problem. And so I, I would love if you could, um, through your own experience, what you've learned and, and what you share about what redemption actually means. Is it, is it just repairing something back to the way it was or is it something more than that? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a really great question, you know. 
Um, I believe that God makes all things new. Um, and I believe that because he says that, you know, God's not trapped in time like we are. And so it's very hard for our minds to get out of, um, to think outside the box. Like literally God can go in your past and God could go in your future and he can do whatever he wants there. And so for instance, like with moral revolution, almost every time we go to a place and we work with kids, one of the main things that we do is, is the restoration of virginity. You know, there's just so much, um, uh, sexual immorality and so many kids have lost their virginity, um, before they're married and it's devastating to them. But, um, usually the last night we pray for the restoration of virginity. And I'll tell you, it's incredible how many emails It's probably over a hundred actual reports back that we've gotten of women getting married and their and God have actually restored their hymen. So what was physically impossible became possible, wow. uh, became repaired, and, and which means they bled on their wedding on their honeymoon day, um, which is part of my my story with my first marriage. The Lord uh, restored my my wife's uh, hymen, and she, and that's really where that came from. Is we started to go, oh my gosh, this is possible, and to me. Um, I don't actually think the Lord, I, I like to think like God went back in time and he made, he made it as if though it never happened, the, the actual uh, offense. And so, you know, redemption to me isn't refurbished. It's not like God refurbished his lives and you don't get the warranty anymore, but it still works, you know. <laughs> right. um, it's actually the Lord takes what you don't know how to do and he makes it brand new. And so redemption to me is really getting what God paid for. And he didn't pay for a beat up bride. You know, he didn't, he didn't pay for uh, a bride that, that is just going to barely cross the finish line. and He's going to save us from hell, you know, or, or save us from our, our broken, our brokenness. Uh, you know, I think the Lord paid for us to walk in wholeness. And, and so I really think that God is in the business of not just restoration, but of actual completing the work that he started in us and making it new. So, you know, when you get saved or when you ask for forgiveness or when repentance walks out in your life, uh, like I do, I, I work with a lot of married couples who have fallen and I, they're, when a married couple falls and, and I actually see the repentance take place and restoration take place. It's incredible because they don't actually have the same marriage anymore. Wow. It's really, really phenomenal. They mm. have some, they have what they always wish they had. They have this like crazy connected, compassionate, um, a lot of tools, really healthy marriage. I was just working with one today and I'm seeing them on the other side of six months. You know, we've been working together and it's just so fascinating to see, okay, they didn't just like get a, a small little fix. They're actually getting a brand new marriage. Phenomenal. Wow. 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 It's, it's really phenomenal. Yeah. That's what I was, uh, that's what I was thinking. You know, that, that, that redemption I think is a lot more than we, we have been taught or told that, yeah. that I think redemption isn't necessarily repairing. It's like you said, not repairing it back to the way it was, but actually bringing it back to original intention. Like what's the, the best version of this, that's what redemption does. Right. It's Man. true. I like to think of it like David and his mighty men, you know. 
and, and those men that were were hiding with David as he was as he was running and fleeing, you, you know, the, the men that became his mighty men, they were the outcasts. They were the people that nobody wanted. You know, they were the ones that were hiding. And when they got restored, I mean, they got restored to like the place that they were created to be. One man could take on a thousand men. Uh, two men could take on 10,000 men. I mean, you yeah. talk about, you see like a destiny brought out in somebody. They didn't just get their sins forgiven. I mean, those men, those men got to be what they originally were created to be. It's pretty phenomenal. I, oh, yeah. I get fired up about, <laughs> yeah. about what God can do in people. Man, so. that's so good. You know, it, it reminds me of that, uh, you know, the scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, right? And so we're seeing like this this constant being of, of Jesus making all things new, you know, seeing these marriages restored to, it's like you said, beyond a restoration, but to this to this place of the kingdom of God making their marriage new. Yeah. You know, like, and when something's new, it's something we haven't seen before. You know it's what I mean? True. It's it's part of that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It neither has it even been thought of entered into your heart what what your marriage could be like or your your job or your career could be like when when there's real reconciliation and real redemption in this in this process, man. So just you saying that that brought a whole that brought a whole different perspective for me to see a marriage restored. It's so much more than just seeing it restored. You know, it's it's so true. And I think a lot of times, you know, we look at a verse like that and we say, um, you know, we've been given the mind of Christ and, and the Lord makes all things new. So why am I stuck in my sin? <laughs> well, part of it is Jesus, you know, Jesus, Jesus tells us like to come to him as we are, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to cast our cares on him. But I think so many times in the church, we come to the Lord as we think he wants us to come mm-hmm. all cleaned up in our Sunday best and and I'm not going to jump on a soapbox or anything, but I'm, I am a huge advocate for, no, the Lord is, the Lord wants you to come as you really are so that you can experience unconditional love, right? So if I come to him all dirty and not fixed, and he gets to see me and the church gets to see me and people and friends get to see me in my brokenness and they still love me, Mm -hmm. then I will know that I'm lovable. Yeah. Brene Brown says something um, awesome. It's just fascinating. In her studies, she basically says, that in her studies, the difference between a broken person and someone who's whole is people who are whole uh, believe that they're worthy of love. Wow. But people wow. who are broken have this belief that they're not worthy of love. It's really fascinating what happens. And we're not talking about Christian people. We're talking about people. Yeah. Yeah. In general. When we don't let people love us. And she says, courage is the ability to tell your story with your whole heart, accepting your failures. You know, when we come to the Lord with our whole heart, when you come to the church with our whole heart, to the people, to when you listen to this podcast and you open up your heart and you say, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to be honest and I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with myself. Well, that's the time when you actually can first accept yourself. Man, and wow. go, I, I, I know that I'm not perfect, but until you accept the fact that you're not perfect, until that point, you're never actually going to be able to take on the mind of Christ because it's very, very hard to have a fear-based mentality and invite love in. And 
and when I say fear-based, I'm saying when we don't show the Lord who we are, we don't actually trust him, and therefore it's rooted in fear. Wow. Whoa. Man. And when we don't show the people around us who are safe, I'm not saying everybody. There's an unhealthy way of doing this. So, you know, people got to figure some of this out. But when we are unable to show the world around us who's safe, who we really are, every relationship that we have is now rooted in fear. Therefore, it is very hard to have the mind of Christ about a situation when we are rooted, when our thoughts come from fear are based in fear. And so, you know, I just, I think that, again, when you dive into scripture like that, so many Christians are really frustrated at, or they change the meaning of those verses to, well, I don't really have the mind of Christ. And, and, and you know, he, he makes all things new, but kind of. No, the truth <laughs> is you have to partner with, when we, we you have to do the whole thing. Yeah. We, we can't expect that God's just going to somehow control you take all the fear away because he says fear not that he's going to take control of your mind and make you somehow um, outside of your will. Uh, you know, th- th- he's just going to impart your mind and you're going to wake up one morning and go, Oh my gosh, I'm all better. So, yeah. you know, I, I really think there's a great partnership there for people and in, in that scripture um, is, is to go, what is my part? Well, your part is to, mm-hmm. to come to the Lord for starters wholeheartedly man, and, and then come to people wholeheartedly and then to realize, okay, I am unconditionally loved. That's the place where you can get healing. Man, that's powerful. You know, Jason, um, we, we've talked around moral revolution quite a bit and we've obviously in, in some of our talk today, we've covered a lot of, a lot of issues that, that moral revolution specifically desires to address, you know, yeah. and, um, which I'm really happy about that, that we've gotten into that. But I'd yeah. love I'd love for you just real briefly to talk about one of the contexts of moral revolution talks about is is how to um, steward purity and morality. Could you could you talk to us about what that looks like uh, stewarding purity and morality in in our lives and, and and helping in the lives of others around us? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind just off the cuff um, is we have to have something that we say yes to. You know, I, I feel like um, I feel like sometimes in our lives we're we're trying to say no to everything. You know, we're trying to say, I I hope I hope that I um, don't have a thought that comes in my mind about a girl today, and I I hope that you know there's a lot of hoping or there's a lot of like um, praying off, warding off the enemy. You know, for, yeah. if you want to say it like that, yeah. wake up in the morning and we do you know our our 15 minute devotional in order so that we don't sin. Instead of going like, what am I? What is my yes? What am I pointing towards? And um, and I think I think there's a lot of power um, in saying this is my yes. So, um, for instance, uh, picking something that you're going after. When I was uh, 16 years old, and I was going through that time in my life where I was looking at pornography, one of the main things that got me out of that was <clears throat> I decided I couldn't do this anymore. I needed a reminder every day that of who I was. And so what I did is I, I wore a white T-shirt every day for a whole year. Now, <laughs> when you're in high school and you wear the same looking shirt every day, 
like after a week, people start to notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, either his mom found a really great deal at Walmart and um, she bought every white T-shirt or something's weird about this kid. Yeah. But <clears throat> what really helped me was I, instead of saying, no, 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 I'm not going to look at porn anymore. I looked down every day at my white T-shirt and I was able to actually put on physically something that I was saying yes to. Mm. I physically was putting on this thing that said, Jason, this is who you are. You're pure. And when people would ask me like, dude, why do you, why do you wear that white t-shirt? I'd have to say like, uh, man, I just decided I, I wanted to change something in my life. And it reminds me of every day of, of who I am. And I didn't have, you know, depending on how strong I felt that day, I could either go into it or I didn't have to go into it. But for me, it reminded me of who I was not what I didn't want to be. Wow. Oh, man. man. That's really that's, powerful. That's man. awesome. So every day, you know, I felt like people have to have something every day that they're doing, that they're going after, that helps them to remember <clears throat> what they're going after. And so, you know, at that time in my life, I was really pursuing counseling and helping people. Um, I'd been doing it since I was really young. And so I had decided, no, I'm going to be an example for me and for the, for the world that's counting on me even at 16 years old. Um, so I had a purpose beyond just, I want to be free and I don't want to feel this way. And it's okay if you can't find a huge purpose, uh, like I had, you know, I'm going to go help people. Um, but you do have to have a big yes. And, and I would challenge people to say, what is your yes? Mm. We all know what your no is, but what's your yes? What is that thing that you're pursuing that you've set your sights on so that when you fail, you know, science shows us that when we fail, if we're quick to forgive and, and quick to push shame away from us, that we will recover fast and reset our sights on our goal. Wow. But if your goal is only to get rid of something negative, then when you forgive yourself and you get rid of the shame, all you're looking at is what you don't want to be. Man. Wow. Instead of where you're actually heading. So, you know, I think just a little shift in perspective and a, a, a bit of a shift in, in some habits really helps um, people to, to make a big change in their life. So, and, and ultimately steward, steward the purity and their morality. So, you know, someone once said, if you don't find beauty inside of yourself, you'll go looking for it somewhere else. So, mm. you know, I think that's the other thing is um, you really, really need to work on loving you. And, uh, I think that's where where there's a lot of really great um, products for that, and we can talk about that later. But um, not not loving yourself is is a really bad idea um, <laughs> any time, but especially in a day and age where in in two minutes you can get on and and look at you know have access to more temptation than than a generation's had in in a hundred years. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was reminded of something just now about just this concept of loving yourself. You know, you read in Scripture, and Jesus was saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we had someone recently on the podcast, I can't even remember exactly, but saying, well, what, you got to look at that. It's a two-sided coin with both equal sides. Like, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. So true. And you, the, the extent to which you can love your neighbor is the extent to which you can love yourself. So, it's true. Um, 
Yeah, I, I love that that perspective. Um, well, Jason, you know, I know you do a lot of counseling, like you mentioned, and, and mentoring is a huge part of your life. And we've yeah. constantly seen how you know, these people we talk to who are thought leaders and, and leaders in what they're doing and doing these amazing things in their life, they've all had people who have mentored them and fathered them and led them through seasons of life. So we'd love to hear from you about somebody who's been that sort of figure in your life, a father, and, and how that person kind of led you through different seasons of your life. And then, and then if you have any thoughts on fathering and mentoring as well, that could, could help those listening. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my dad has is, is probably been the, for sure, been the, the greatest source of, of fathering and, and mentoring in my life. And, and um, I know it probably doesn't help a lot of people out there because um, they're going, hey, my dad wasn't that. Um, but he really was. And so obviously that was super helpful. You know, he walked me, him and my mom, um, really walked me through my, my divorce. I went through a nervous breakdown in 2008. It was, it, it literally was, I'm, I mean, it was hell. If there was, if there was hell on earth, that was it. It was, it felt worse than my divorce, my nervous breakdown. Um, and that lasted for a long time. Um, you know, so from being, being a single parent to going through nervous breakdowns to, um, you know, just walking out my life, I could say my dad has, has always been um, a person that not only I look up to, but um, that is, has walked me, walked through me, uh, walked me through those those really hard times in my life. You know, my father's the best man that I know. Um, and so that, you know, that's been super helpful. I've had other guys like Danny Silk, um, who've just been tremendous uh in my marriage, um, a tremendous help for my kids. And, and, and that's really what I'd encourage people is, you know, you probably need more than one, one father or one expert in your life. You know, there's certain things that I don't go to my dad for because he's not the best person, uh, doesn't have the best experience mm-hmm. in that area. And so, you know, when I'm, I have three kids and, um, one sixteen, uh, my oldest son, 16, my, my daughter's 14 and, my youngest son's 11 and you know, all throughout the years through different stages of their life, they change so much that once you figure out 12, you know, they turn 13 <laughs> and you don't know what to do. So, you know, Danny Silk's probably been the greatest help for that um, yeah. in my life, just going to him and calling him late at night or catching him in between meetings and going, dude, my, my house is burning down. I need your help. Um, so, you know, we all need people that, that we can do life with, um, that can, that can really help us. So, um, I think, you know, I was talking about how to find fathers and mothers. Um, last night I was, I was doing a, a series for our worship department here. And, um, you know, when, when you get born into a family, you were chosen into it. You know, your parents chose to have you. Mm-hmm. And so it, it should be a very easy fit. Um, it should be, it was, it, in my mind, family was created like that. You know, they naturally love you. You look like them. You have their DNA. Um, unfortunately, some of that's changed today in the sense that, some, you know, some parents don't know how to, to raise kids and they're going through a lot of pain and things like that. And so, um, but as you get older, here's my take on it. As you get older, um, <clears throat> it's kind of the opposite. If you want a mother and a father, if you just wait for them to come and find you, it's not going to happen. Mm. It, it really doesn't happen because <clears throat> unless you express a need, 
and act on that need, everyone around you it really is too busy. And, and what I hear a lot, I hear a lot of people going, man, everyone's too busy and they don't want to blah, blah, blah. And the, the truth is, is like, well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to take anyone else on unless I realize you not only have time for me, but you're going to steward what I give you. You're going to be a good use of my time. It's just built into us. It's natural. And so, you know, I think that, I think that we really find community. Let me just say this. We find community when we serve community. Oh, and good. I, I think we have to change our mindset from mom and dad are supposed to find me to I'm going to actually seek out like I'm going to seek out um, a mother and a father or a father or, or a male figure or a community that has what I need and I'm going to serve them. And, you know, I feel like our generation has lost uh, the value of serving. It's, it's a very self-centered generation. It's simple things. I mean, literally like mowing lawns and showing up, uh, to dinner and, and inviting, you know, invite them out to dinner, invite somebody out to dinner that you want to father you and, and be a benefit to their life without, um, secretly hoping that they're going to take you, uh, as their own and, and mentor you. You know, I came home two nights ago, um, I was teaching really late. I was, te- I was teaching uh, a life counseling class and I came home and I was getting ready to go on a bike ride with my friend. And um, one of this, a guy that I fought fire with that I just love, I'd be, you know, a father in his life. He's 32. And um, he was outside my house sweeping my back porch. Wow. His name's Joe. And I was like, Joe, what are you doing? My wife was gone. She was somewhere else. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I just dropped something off at your house and I, I came, came in the back to look and see what you guys had finished. So we just put in some planters. He said, I saw that your porch was, was dirty. So I was just sweeping it off for you. That's a guy that I'm going to, that is a guy because he cares about me. I'm naturally going to care about him. Yeah, that's good. I didn't have to call him. I didn't have to go like, Hey, this Saturday I'm going to be, uh, uh, he's actually taking care of me. He has me in his heart. So, you know, I think if you really want to be fathered, if you want community, you have to be community to people. You know, if you want somebody to pour into you, you, you got to pour into other people. Yeah. And, and then and then uh, people will put you in their heart. But until then, you know, I have a 100 guys that say, hey, Jay, will you father me? Will you mentor me? And the answer is I don't have time. Yeah, I, It's true. I really don't. But yeah. when I come home and I got a guy who's sweeping my back porch – because he thought about me that day, that's a guy that I got time for Hmm. because he doesn't need, uh, he's going to take the little thing I say and he's going to make it really big. Yeah. He's not going to drain me. Does that make sense? He's going to be a man. So I think that's really important when, when looking for a mom and a dad or a community, we got to serve, man. We got to, we got to actually sit down and go, you know, who, who has the same type of thing in common. I think that that's the other thing without going too long here if I can give another, another pointer, I think that sure. yeah. sometimes we try and mentor over coffee. And, and the challenge with that is it's very awkward. It's not really natural. Um, we sit down and it's like, okay, well, you tell me your problems and I'll tell you the answers to those. And after a while, it just gets really awkward. But, you know, a lot of what people need isn't necessarily really, really incredible counseling advice. They need a friend. Yeah. And 
you guys know how it is. Uh, when I do a lot of fishing and if I get on the boat with somebody, um, and they also like fishing, there's a natural connection. It's not yeah. hard. Right. Yeah. Whereas I don't even drink coffee. So when I go out <laughs> to coffee with somebody, I just can't wait till it ends. <laughs> and you know, the, the, the greatest relationships that I've had in my life with fathers from, you know, Bill Johnson to my dad to Danny Silk, we, we actually have something in common. Uh, Bill and I, uh, we have fly fishing in common. And so if we go out together, it's not a hard connection. And I'm not talking to him about church. And I'm not talking to him. We're talking about fishing. Yeah. But I would say I feel really connected to him. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it makes yeah. Sense. perfect sense. I think we, need, we really need to connect around the places that are natural for us. And, and then it will be easy. It won't be this awkward, well, you, do I give you a hug right now before I leave? Or do we <laughs> high five? You know, you just have this really natural connection. So uh, I, I think that that's also a big part of it. You know, yeah. bond around what you naturally like. Man, that's really that's good. good. So good. You know, Jason, we have to, for time, we have to start wrapping up. We've got one more quick question. Uh, just first, it's, this has been an amazing conversation, and we'd like to, to be able to, to help our, our listeners continue to connect to what you're doing with your life and with Moral Revolution. So would you mind telling us real quick, what's the best way for people to connect with what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I think Moral Revolution is, is one of the best places um, and then also Bethel Church, um, Bethel Reading, and so they can just they can just go to those places. Um, I have a couple books and products. Um, I I don't unfortunately I don't do a ton of stuff online right now, um, so I don't have my own personal website or a blog. Um, I think in the next year I will, so they can they can check out for that kind of stuff. Um, awesome. But they can look on more Revolution and, and see the events that I'm going to speak at or. Um, they can they can watch uh, Sunday morning and get connected to to some of the stuff that we do here. So perfect, awesome. yeah. All right, well, Jason, man, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We really enjoyed this. Yeah, really. it was awesome. I appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Legacy podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Jason Ballatin. We encourage you to go check out what he's doing and stay connected with him at moralrevolution.com and ibethel.org. We have all the links and resources mentioned in today's show over on our website, UncommonLegacy.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We have many more amazing guests just like Jason coming on the show, and you won't want to miss a single one. You can head over to our website and join our UnCommunity. We send out an email newsletter once a week with updates on new podcast episodes and blog posts, as well as some exclusive content. Also, go like our Facebook page to stay up to date on new podcast episodes, blog posts, and giveaways. Thanks again for listening to the Uncommon Legacy Podcast. We'll see you next time.